<laughs> Welcome back. We are here with the original and best Chris Brown, aka Breezy. So we have worked with Chris a few years ago and he helped us as our coach to overcome a bunch of big plateaus in the business and was the main driver behind us moving from one-to-one -one coaching and just stuck exchanging time for money into online group coaching and helped us to unlock new levels of, of business growth. And we've learned loads of lessons since then. And we've kind of um, crossed paths multiple times. And we, we came down to Liverpool to uh, to train with him and to do a podcast on on his podcast. So you can have a look at that in the link in the description below. Uh, but it's been fascinating seeing Chris's journey and transformation on multiple levels. And we thought it would be a great opportunity for you guys. I think you've got a lot to learn from him. So here he is, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm a, I'll preframe this by saying I'm a little under the weather today, so my um, I might be a little bit nasally, and I apologise in advance if I sneeze and blow out some eardrums. So that's all right. Just make sure you get it right in the mic, like as close as you can. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, as close. Three D sneeze. Can you remember? Followed by a, a mic swipe. <laughs> <laughs> Just extra scratchiness. Can you remember the first? Can you remember like our the call we had, Chris? Like, I, when was it? Like twenty. 15, no, 20, 2017, yeah. something like that. Was it that? Was I it, think was so. It not earlier? I don't know. I, I, can't, I, I, remember, yeah. I remember the actual call. I actually remember where I was as well. I was in the car park at New Era when I was oh, trying right. to see the very first time. Yeah, I have weird, like, weird memory like that. Like certain, certain people, not every client, but like certain people that I've signed up that I have worked with over a period of times. Like I can really remember the conversations because, you know, I think when you see somebody's growth beyond that, it's like really significant. Mm. And um, I can I, I, remember, I remember where we were actually. Yeah, I can remember the conversation. Interesting. Yeah, but sorry, what, what I, I just remember you guys like having something special, and I remember like, wow, like you got so many amazing things going for you, but just so inefficient in so many ways. And <laughs> I think I said I, I said this on my podcast, I think, but out of every client I work with, the thing that like really impressed me was the way in which you served clients, and I was actually a client of yours for some time as well. And um, it just yeah. impressed me, like how you managed the system of like serving your clients. And it was like, a, you know, a handful of like strategy tweaks. And I thought you guys would fly and you did, you know. It's it's one of the big bits of value in, in having a coach and having an external uh, viewpoint, I think, because it's so easy to just go down your own rabbit hole and get completely stuck in your own way. And then someone just has to come along and be like, oh have you thought about this and this? And you're like, oh yeah. That's why when we look at family members or friends that are getting in their own way and it's so obvious to everyone else except them yeah. as to what they're doing wrong. It's really funny that you say that as well because in the same breath, like when you're coaching people equally, you have the same situation yourself. Like you can spot things like blind spots for other people, but you might have them yourself. And I think that's why for a long time I was like really committed to like I must have a gym and I must do the gym and I must do this coaching because then it's authentic and it's real and it's like I'm not not coaching something that I'm not doing and like I had to let go of that identity a little bit because it was really holding me back in some ways like shape and form like just because I was doing it didn't mean that I was great at coaching it and also just because I was coaching it didn't mean I had to do it um because there were there were blind spots in my very own business that I would quite easily plug with clients 
like one of the things that I'm actually most proud of now is that I've taken clients further than I ever took myself, which is really interesting. Like I was the coach to people that I never had myself, which was always kind of my thing that I wanted to do. Well, it seems like um, the the approach that you take <clears throat> is very much a collaborative one with your clients and it's it's shared problem solving rather than I am the guru at the top of the mountain and you come to me for all the answers. Um, and I think by doing that you, and having your ego out of the way, it allows a lot more clarity and a lot more solutions than if it was just, well, this is the way and, and that's it. For, yeah, for sure. And I think there's like, a, there's a hybrid of it. Like here's all the things that I've done that I know work, but then equally here are some of your individual strengths. And it's that, I think that's the skill of coach. And I actually had, um, I will, we'll venture into this, but my journey through psychotherapy and therapy like really supported me as a coach for a number of reasons. Um, one of them was that sometimes as coaches, we can like really project our own stuff and limitations onto clients. And I think we've got to be like hyper aware of that, like hypersensitive of it, because just because it might not be something that I want to do doesn't mean that it's not something that someone should do or they equally want to do. I remember having a distinct conversation with one of my clients. He wanted to run a white collar event in Dubai. And he was like, yeah, it's going to cost like 75 grand up front to do this, this, and this. And I'm just like, fuck that. Like, I would never do that. Like, that's not even in my <laughs> blueprint, like at all. Um, like instantly. Mm. And I caught myself in the moment. I was like, is there not like a step before that that you could do maybe a London event or something that like was less risk? And I'm like, hold on. Like, that's, that's me. That's not them. That's not me supporting them. Mm. And so then I was more inquisitive. I was like, okay, so like, why the Dubai event? Why is that important to you? Like, what do you want to accomplish by doing that? What will it bring to you that you don't have right now? And I think like as a coach, it's so important to be so aware of the times that we like, I wouldn't want to do that. So don't do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's necessarily the hardest thing to catch as well. Cause you, you, they're blind spots. So of course you don't, you don't see them. And uh, you're, you're totally right that, it's easy to pass on those internal hangups and resistances and blind spots to someone else unconsciously the same way that mm -hmm. our parents do that to us and they're not doing it to be malicious it's just they they just don't see where they're deficient in something it's, it's um, equally the about, sorry okay. <laughs> <laughs> we need we still need signals man every time we have this in our podcast yeah, yeah. joe rogan's adamant on headphones for this exact reason so I, I've worn headphones a couple of times, got made fun of, so stop wearing them. But I, but when you wear them, it definitely helps the like cross well, cross talk. I mean, look, I was just going like, to add to that. When and you've say, got a bald head, it does nothing for you, like legit. Like it just <laughs> squashes, like squashes my cheeks like this, and I just think, like, I don't want the only feature to be on my face, like head, a pair of headphones. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just think <laughs> like, a, a pair of like. Apple wired like basic earphones solves solves the problem, but we're all about the you know, we've got to look yeah. a certain way. And can you tell grow a beard? Hear the resentment coming out in my voice. I was I just going to say some like influencer life going on though right now. Where's like these fucking road mics? Like this is almost a feature of being an influencer now, where you've got to like oh uh, yeah climb on this ugly mic. Like it's it's not even and, like on. that's like a it's trend now. <laughs> yeah Yeah. They're just using their, their, their phone mic. But yeah, that's a trend. Well, they used to be the same thing with AirPods, didn't they? Like people would have like one AirPod in while filming to their phone when actually their AirPod wasn't even connected to their phone. 
it was just a like oh yeah because the airpod mic's so much better they're actually not that good yeah. especially if you're if there's like atmospheric noise they pick up a lot of atmospheric noise um well like i got trolled once on one of my videos it was like dude why would i listen to you you don't even have airpods like because i just had the uh, normal wired apple <laughs> headphones so it's become yeah. a, a kind of status snobbery signal hasn't it yeah, it's ridiculous. They are good headphones, though. Yeah. I think they're great headphones. Yusuf doesn't. Um, I was just going to add to the conversation before saying how, like, we have this with, um, like, we're quite anti, um, like, organic and posting on social media and sort of that sort of thing because it, I think it has a has a really short-term effect for a lot of people. Unless you already have a big audience. But some some people just like doing it. Um yeah. And I find it really difficult to, you know, as you're saying, like a client comes to you and says, like, I'm going to do, this is my marketing strategy. I'm going to make this change. Where do you draw the line between we tried that and I know it doesn't work or I know that it's a really like inefficient way of spending your time and trying to really guide that person away from that whilst also just as long as the basics are in place, it's fine if they do it as well. It's like if someone wants to do like lateral raises at the end of their training session, like, it's fine as long as like if that's all the training yeah. you're doing that probably won't work but if you want to add them in like probably be all right just don't injure yourself yeah that kind of thing so i, mean, I find like, that balance really there's a i think there's a responsibility between coach and client like you're you're invested in somebody for their advice and their knowledge and their wisdom and like you've got to inherently trust that they've tried a lot of things and kind of figured a few things out like i have um an opinion that most people out there that are selling something educational or like how to based, like they actually have an understanding. I mean, there are people that overcharge and underserve and whatnot, but like the majority, if you say like 95% of people in the market actually have something of value. And if you just stuck to what they say, you'd actually get some results. The problem is that everybody like Frankenstein's bits from everywhere. <laughs> and then they end up so far away from the thing that they've hired the person to get help with that. Like it has no resemblance of what you went to them for. And so I think there's like a responsibility on both ends of the spectrum to be like, listen, like you came to me for this advice. I've tried this, this, and this, this is how it worked out for me. This is what I'd recommend, but fucking crack on if you want to ignore all of the advice that you've just paid for. Like, I think I would never say that to a client, but it's kind of, it's that mentality. Like you come to me for advice, like listen to the advice or don't. Very much. We've, we've all done that in our training journeys as well, where, We've, we've looked at dog crap training and 531 and juggernaut and thought, oh, if I make the ultimate hybrid of all of them and add in a bit of German volume training and then I, I add in some of this and, and you create a Frankenstein and actually mm. it's lost all of the rationale for why the program was put together as it is. And it, it's the, the advice that I'm sure all three of us would give to our 18-year-old self is just pick a program and stick with it for five years and then reevaluate rather than like trying to over-optimize something that's already a complete program in itself. And I think we're, we're, we're definitely stumbling on so many parallels between growth in business and the fitness lessons that we've learned and um, the parallels between that and coaching our fitness clients. Um, and it reminded me of a quote that I can't remember who said it now, but business is a vessel for personal growth disguised as a money-making scheme. And yeah. I know that you're very big on this. Like how much of your growth as an entrepreneur do you feel is down to 
mindset and how much is down to the kind of mechanics of the daily actions uh, right there's like i have a number of opinions on this um i think number one like business puts you in an environment where you have no other option than to handle your own shit because you know it's very hard like you build very personal relationships with clients and the hard thing is to separate like this is a professional relationship versus a personal relationship and i i have and many of my like you guys like i consider you friends and you were clients for a long time the initial breaking of that client coach relationship is very difficult sometimes especially for the coach and especially if you have attachment issues as it is you know which most of us do from childhood and i think like it really forces you to like really look inside because your mentality is this is the best thing for the client like they feel like that's the best thing for their life so i have no onus over that or no opinion over that because they're making a decision for them as they leave that relationship and you know that's the best thing for them but equally it has like an inherent thing of shit like now that person's not paying me money anymore like now i have my own needs and security attacked and things like that and it's a very weird like dynamic to get your head around and I think most coaches have experienced that at some time. Like you, you train clients, you build a great relationship, you transform and change their life financially, physically, you know, emotionally, spiritually, like whatever it is. And then that client goes and leaves and then goes to another coach and then they post testimonials and stuff with other coaches. Like it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to handle. Like, I think you'd be a liar if you were to say here like, oh, I'm completely invincible or immune to that. Like it's, it's a difficult thing to go through for sure. So there's like that that landscape of being a coach in business. Like it's really like really self-development based. So you've got to really do a lot of self-reflection. The, the clients leaving thing used to, it used to like absolutely floor me to be honest for, especially if it would come in, it always feels like it comes in batches, stuff like that. Like I, I don't know whether this is whether you experience this, but I'm, I'm convinced that when something bad happens in business, it's like, everything's great. Everything's great. And it's like one, two, three, four, five. And you're like, like everything was fine like last week everything was fine and then we've had like cancellation cancellation complaint complaint tech issue tech issue and you you, your confidence last week of like everything's going great the business is growing suddenly gets flipped and then the the decisions you make and the work you do and your concentration and your focus all takes a hit and it feels like it spirals out of control it's the sense of when it rains it pours um Mm. There's, there's so many parallels, even with what you've just said there, like someone cancels and you go, was it something I did? Yeah. What? It, oh, no, no, it's not you. It's me. And you go, oh, well, okay. And then you see them posting photos with their new coach and you go, oh, well, that coach looks looks better and taller and good looking and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's so, yeah, like you, exactly as you said, it taps into the, the inherent um, attachment and abandonment and all, all those kind of things. And it's like, if you want to progress as a business, you have to clear out a lot of these these things. Otherwise, your your emotions are going to get in the way of um, ultimately delivering a service. Yeah, and that's that's what I think. Like business just presents a landscape for you to do inner work, like like anything. Um, I actually I'm going to start CrossFit, not because I think CrossFit's the best thing in the world or the principles are amazing, but I just think it's something that kind of intimidates me and it scares me a little bit. And I think at this period in my life, like I'm seeking out, I need to seek out more physical discomfort in my life. I think we've got it far too comfortable. 
in far far too many ways and i think even in business like we can we can navigate and find our own way we can like do the things that we really enjoy but there's a lot of things that would be really beneficial but that are really uncomfortable to do like you know picking up the phone to a bunch of leads that you've got that have never ever spoken to before like it's an inconvenience but it'd be really beneficial just to speak to people um hiring people when you don't really want to hire people like all of these discomforts that happen in business that you don't really want to do so I feel like the physical and the mental emotional like are very, very close. Like Paul, obviously, Mort is a mutual friend of ours, um, has also been client mentor to both of us, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's hired you guys for training nutrition. Um, he hired me for help. It's with all marketing. very incestuous. Isn't it? We've, we've all, yeah, been, it's like, all been each other's client yeah. and coach. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Um, but also nice at the same respect. Yeah, but he said yeah. like mental health requires physical support as well. So I think that's so important. Like seek out discomfort, like find the thing that makes you feel the most uncomfortable and go towards it. Like jujitsu for, for me now, like seven or eight years in, like there are very few people that challenge me in jujitsu and I can have an easy ride if I wanted to. Like I can, I can pick out rounds and I can pick out roles and I can, but like there are certain people on the mats that I feel like, oh, like I'm, really can't be bothered with you today and that's like an indication to me like okay i need to go and roll with you today and my coach paul rimmer also paddy the baddies coach you you'll know him um he's like has this principle called the batman principle and he was like you know he's a big comic book geek and like growing up he was like there was a uh, there was a magazine like an, uh, an issue of a magazine when the joker died and the batman went insane and um it's because Batman didn't have his nemesis. He didn't have the thing to like be Batman, right? Like there was nothing for Batman to be Batman about, right? And um, so he was like, the Batman principle is like, who is your joker? Like when you get on the mat, like who's your joker? Who's the person that makes you feel most uncomfortable, but also is most required for you to be the best version that you could be? There's a, I think the hardest, like personally anyway, the hardest part in business overall is actually not the beginning phases of like is this going to work or not it's the like the level where we're all at now right where really like there's enough cash in the bank where everything's going to be fine you could not really grow and it would still be fine you could not like as you say like you cannot do that extra project launch that extra funnel bring those leads hire that person and it's all okay like there's no, but whereas like when you're trying to get proof of concept and you're trying to like make your first thousand pounds or get your first 10 clients, mm-hmm. there's, I think you're more focused and more productive and there's more desire there than there'll probably ever be. And I think it's really hard yeah. to keep that same level of output, even when things are kind of beyond like, oh God, will this work territory? You hear of mma fighters and they've come from really rough backgrounds and they're absolutely smashing it and they're climbing up the ladder and then when they get rich and famous and too comfortable people go oh they've lost their edge mm-hmm. and it's the same kind of thing well, same with rappers a... like you look at nas like his best two albums are the first two albums why he's most close to the hood he's most close to the streets he's most close to like mm-hmm. the environment which he was talking about and the further they get away from that environment the the harder it is to like have empathy for that situation anymore or reference. Like if you're rich and you're in a mansion, like how could you be rapping about drugs and, and violence and like, like the, an area which you've moved out of, like it's very difficult. Yeah. Well that, that relatability is, is a real asset as well. And it's why people like, you know, like Jacob Rees-Mogg are so hated 
because he's just totally up in his ivory tower and he's talking about social issues that you know the the, the classic thing where you, you they go around and ask kind of conservative mps like oh how much is a, a pint of milk or something and none of them know yet that's that's the same reason that they're so unpopular with people who are struggling with that and yet they are the ones policy making on it so it's important to have your foot on the ground and to still from a pt's perspective to recognize and always be in touch with what are the daily pains and daily struggles of your target niche yeah it's that's that that is the skill because you do move away from it and i think um just touching on johnny's point as well like as your business grows like there's a there's a weird thing that happens mentally like the more money you make the more scary it becomes i don't know if you guys have experienced this as well because like an engine of a business requires a certain amount of cash flow to like fuel and you go from you know fueling yourself individually and like putting food on the table for yourself to then putting on the table you know food for an entire community of people that you're serving and like the fear of loss, like incre- I think the fear of loss increases as your business grows, in my opinion. And that's another area for like self-development. The more money you make, it's like you've got to flip a switch of like there's more for me to lose here. And if you're not careful, you can very quickly like amplify the the underlying scarcity mindset that a lot of people grow up with. Like that can get you very easily and it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy at times and especially when johnny was saying like when one cancel then two cancel then three and then you almost like fuck i knew knew this was never gonna last forever like nothing works <laughs> like it's done it's fucked like everything's gone <laughs> this is it I remember, i'm out <laughs> i remember listening to like when we first heard of paul moore i remember listening to his podcast where he had that like whistling at the beginning i don't know whether you remember those like original episodes yeah, the mmic like, podcast was- yeah yeah, he. I, it was when he had like 300 plus members in MMIC. And like, I'm always really envious of that business model because like, so not reliant on one client, recurring. It, my, my, how I imagine anyway, it's like so stable, no costs, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I remember him saying that like his biggest fear was it all going away. Like he built this yep. thing up to where it was, but he still worried every day about what if everyone cancels? Like what if what it happens just it? vanishes from and, no, but like, and, and I just remember so thinking like, how can you, when you're at the point where like, you know, I was in a nine to five job, like propane didn't really make any money. And I remember thinking, how can you think like that? Like, how can you, how can you like built it to this point and that be what you're worried about? But you get there and it's all, you, it's all like, it's your main fear is not like, <laughs> oh my God, can I grow it? It's, oh my God, what if? like the thing, the progress we've made vanishes tomorrow and like there's nothing I can do because it's all just on my laptop and it might all just disappear. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a really weird, like hard, hard to get a handle on as well. I don't, I don't, I wish I could say like, just do this and it'll go away. But I think it's just practice and exposure to. Like, no, I don't think it ever goes away. I've of... got a, yeah, a good friend, Tristan, um, fucking multi-millionaire business and still has the same fucking fear like it's just i just think it's it's there no matter what and i think this i have a theory and i've spoke to tristan about this like almost that anxiety is like inherently required for success because that's that is the thing that keeps driving you like it's almost required like that little bit of anxiety of like fear of losing it is what gets you out of bed and actually pushes you forward and i think the people that don't have that are employees like honestly that's truthfully truthfully what i think because they're completely content with somebody else looking after their income for them. Like they, they, they happily go, here's my life. 
I'll put that in your responsibility and hands. Like you just pay me a salary every month and I won't have to think about that. But the entrepreneurial yeah. mind is like, fuck this. Everything is on me. Like if, if, <laughs> if this dies, everything dies. Like it's so crazy. But I think it's, it's such a, coming such back a to Paul's story, point, like, it? yeah, his, his fear of like it going away eventually was a self-fulfilling prophecy because it did. Mm. Like regardless yeah, of how that happened, it. like it did, it went. Like So mm. if you're so locked in on like that fear of loss, you will actually attract that in some weird way. Most danger and fear, like I said, I was speaking to my therapist about this exact topic last week. Most fear is like, you know, stand on the edge of a cliff and you're looking over, that fear repels you away from the edge. The weird fear about like underlying fear of things happening and occurring in your life is it's almost like a magnet, like it's self-fulfilling. Mm. So if you're afraid that your business is going to fail, ultimately, if your attention is there, you will you will engage in a lot of behaviors that will be conductive to that feeling yeah i mean i that totally makes sense to me you know both intuitively and also there are people who talk about this process happening on a very existential level a very metaphysical level but yeah it just makes sense from the way that your brain works if you if you're dedicating a lot of bandwidth towards a certain thing that you don't want to happen your brain is always thinking about that and looping onto it and then you 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 behaviors start to either act in total avoidance of it or um, unconsciously kind of seeking it and then it becomes a cycle so um, it's interesting you, you know you mentioned that you've 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 been going through psychotherapy that business has been very much a platform for personal growth for you into highlighting your kind of internal issues how yeah. have you gone about in finding locating and kind of clearing out these issues yeah like i actually um I feel very fortunate in many ways that locally just happen to be like a couple of really good practitioners and then referrals through those people. An amazing man called Matt Gunn, mattgunn.co.uk, I think is a website. He's a um, psychotherapist, intro, informed trauma, breathwork practitioner, trauma release therapy, stuff like that. And I just happened to come across him. Um, weird story from the retreat that I did, Men Without Masks. He was one of the facilitators there, but equally Craig was a client of mine who owns Men Without Masks. Martin is the meditation coach and also facilitator on that retreat who was introduced to me by a friend. And there's like this little collective of people in Liverpool that are doing amazing things. Like I honestly think the city of Liverpool is like healing on a like a on a on a global scale throughout Liverpool. It's like it's a, it's amazing what's going on here. Maybe I'm biased and maybe it's going on everywhere else, but it seems like it, there's like a real healing vibe in the city because I think you know people look at scouses as you know scum and like scum of the earth. Like it really is a bad like they have a bad opinion across the country. And I think the city has almost had that self fulfilling prophecy. So there's like a movement of people doing amazing things in the city that I'm really like blessed to have. And then working with Matt was. Like really, the um, the beginning of the deeper work that I was doing. So doing breath work, trauma release, somatic um, release, then psychotherapy on top of that. And then he referred me to his mentor, a lady called Maria, over in Canada. And yeah, I just find like 
there are therapy, there is therapy and there are therapists. And I think all therapy is not created equal and all therapists are not created equal. And I think you've got to really seek out somebody that can support you because a bad therapist could actually make things worse as a bad coach could. And I think you've got to really find somebody that truly like truly has cleared their own stuff. It's, it's very hard to find. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just feel blessed to have that. And, and if anyone's listening, they want introductions to any of the people that I've mentioned, I'm completely happy to. But the, the big thing for me, I think was thinking about trauma and when we think of the word trauma, we almost immediately think, like me personally, I was brought up in a you know stable household, two parents, sister, like nice home, didn't really go without anything, wasn't really in extreme poverty or anything like that. Uh, and you think, well, I didn't have anything traumatic going on in my life compared to other people in poverty and this and that and the other. I think the thing about trauma, like traumatic experiences is it's not necessarily the extent to what we think trauma is trauma is just like a deep emotional response to a situation right and i think we can all think of things in our lives where we've had a deep emotional response to a situation like extreme embarrassment or guilt or shame or like we've done something we're not proud of and we just continue to like to repeat that pattern and so it's like we can we can be perpetrator and victim at the same time in many ways when it comes to trauma we can be um victim and victim only we can be perpetrator and perpetrator only i think there's just so many things that we've got to understand and i think the majority of people have like have something in them that's really holding them back from being the better version of themselves and um like i say i I, i've done a lot of self-development in terms of studying of you know mindset stuff and high performance and it was very uh what would i say it was very heady like logical it was very knowledge-based, understanding. Like I, I've got a, mm-hmm. an incredible memory for gathering information and like interpreting it and then delivering it to other people. And that would be in my journey for like almost a decade. Definitely served me, a thousand percent served me. But like what was missing was that inner work, the embodiment of that information, like the actual living by the things that I'd understood. And that's what the journey of therapy has really helped me understand. Like, oh, this is me that is creating this or I'm responsible in this situation or like saying something in a snap moment and be like, listen, that that's my stuff. Like, I'm sorry about that. Like it's just such a conscious awareness that comes from that deeper work that I think for some reason, I think begins to happen in your life in like your thirties. I, I speak to a lot of people in their, their mid twenties. Like I thought I had it all figured out in like my mid to late twenties. Like I really did. And then life comes across and just smacks you in the face and like, 33 years old and i'm like shit like i know nothing yeah it's interesting to hear you say that because i think we've very much resonate with the fact that we've kind of resisted that side of things early on and there's obviously the early 20s bravado and um one big benefit of the destigmatization of mental health um and people being more transparent about it over the last 10 years is that it's opened up the access to people seeking these kind of things, but, but also recognizing that it's not just a binary thing. And you mm-hmm. mentioned about trauma and you think, well, I, I haven't gone and haven't undergone any major childhood trauma, thankfully. So therapy, that's not for me. That's for, that's for damaged people or that's for people who have been yeah. through X, Y, Z. And actually when you start to realize that 
it's just a spectrum or it's a continuum from yes people have experienced severe trauma and that's going to really affect their functional ability all the way up to the highest performers and we all are still equipped with the same machinery and so it makes sense that at a certain point that machinery is going to be the limiting factor for you performing and growing as a business and it underlies everything and all of your behaviors and you could have two clients that are following the same program on paper but one of them is constantly getting in their own way and coming up with excuses and self-sabotage and and obviously that's going to affect their results so even from a purely performance perspective it's not something you can avoid and i guess as you say once you get into your 30s and you start to go like actually i have to confront this stuff at some point because it's not it's not going away well there's like two things here as well i think i'll use like a an analogy that will really work to understand this i think we consider like technological advances right and like if we look at it as like physical and mental you think about installing the most you know recent software on the oldest laptop you could find like it's going to have its limitations right so i think your physical your physical body the way in which you show up every day the way in which you structure schedule time function perform like a productive in the physical world, like the work that you do is limited to a capacity and you've got to constantly work at your capacity to increase that threshold because at some point that's going to be a limiting factor. Equally, you could work on that stuff as much as you want, but if you're running a software program from you know 10 years ago on the most recent machine, then it's still going to find its limitation at some spectrum across the line, Right. And I think that's what we've got to understand. Even like the most successful people, like billionaires, right? They could have gotten to that point with like very unhealthy energy. And at some point it has its limitation. Like, yes, they're financially successful, but everything else around their life is a shit show. Right? And I think you've got to like, I think we look at like financial success as the epitome of success often in Western society we got to look at a spectrum of it. And I think the, the, the hardware software thing is a really important thing. Like I understood that I got really out of shape at one point. I could have the, the sharpest mindset in the world, but if I'm waking up exhausted every day, then you know what it's like. If you're exhausted, it's impossible to function at any, any level of capacity, no matter how good your mindset is. Um, equally, you could have the most ripped up body in your mind is a shambles of insecurity and fear and doubt and worry and scarcity. And you're using a lot of your mental capacity focusing on stuff instead of like creating, like you, you're actually focusing on memories of the past and repeating them in the present moment, as opposed to creating from something that is unknown and uncertain. Cause everything that you create and manifest in your life comes from uncertainty because if it was certain you'd have it right now, cause you'd know. How do you think you, know which is the limiter i think that's the hard to me anyway that's the hardest part of this equation because like if you if that was clear mm-hmm. if it was like on a daily basis i'm trying to x i'm trying to like find a relationship or build my business or, or whatever and there's a there's like a physical or a mental limitation you probably think there's it's one side which is the side you work on when actually it might be the mm-hmm. other and it's very hard to stay objective do you think the answer is just like everybody try therapy or everybody get a coach or like, do you need objectivity? Do you think to realize or 
Yeah, how do, like how I don't do want to go Gary Vee on everyone, but I think like having a le- like getting to a level of self awareness is like really important. I, I, I think I had probably like way too much ego, like without like not fucking hell. I look at myself and I'm I'm definitely not like an egotistical person the way like a megalomaniac or anything like that. But I definitely had a lot of ego in the sense of like thinking that I had things figured out, thinking that I had superior answers, thinking that I was always right, thinking that it was always my way, like, and not actually going, okay, fuck, like I'm really responsible here. Like this is, this is on me. Mm-hmm. And I think that takes us like a level of self-awareness and a hu- like a humility that only develops with age and also a lot of, a lot of uncomfortable situations and a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. And, um, I just think you've got to like work the two things. Uh, well, there's, I think there's four cups, physical, mental, spiritual, and social. And I think like mental, emotional. So physical, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social. I think we've got to fill those cups like every day. Like I, I look at that, like every day there are four cups I've got to fill. Like what am I doing socially today to develop myself? What am I doing physically today to develop myself? What am I doing like mentally, emotionally today to develop myself? And what am I doing spiritually to develop myself? And I think... Like, like, which is the limitation? I don't know, but I, I know that equally all of them play a part in growth. And I think it's our responsibility to be like, okay, like I need to, like my social is really lacking right now. I need to like fill some water in that cup or like my spiritual is really mm. lacking right now. Maybe I need to fill some in that cup. Mm. Is there a common pattern or blind spot that you see with trainers that you work with? Yeah, Um I think most people's belief is in the shed, like completely. I, it's hard when you've surrounded yourself in an environment where like growth and success is just normal and natural to you. Like in my world of working with trainers, it's natural for my clients to be making 20, 25, 30,000, 40,000 a month, 50,000 a month. Like that's natural and normal to me. But that's not normal in the industry. Like the normal in the industry is like struggling to get clients, two, 3,000 a month. And sometimes, I, and then this is like the coming back to the rap thing, like you get so far disconnected from what is actually reality because you're in a, like a microcosm of your own bubble that you forget that it's not normal. So then when, when you're talking about, I'm just like off the cuff, yeah, we've got clients doing 20, 30 grand a month and I might be having a conversation with somebody who's struggling to get like three clients this month. Like that's a really hard thing for them to wrap their head around to the point at which it's actually like almost bullshit when it's not. Does that make sense? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like it's because especially it's so casual to me. Like I was having a sales call with somebody and I'm like, yeah, dude, this is what we do. Like we'll help you. And he's like, you don't sound bothered. I'm like, that's not, not that I'm not bothered. I'm like, I'm bothered, but it's like, it's so normal for me to help you do this. Like, this is not something that is like a major task for us to help you do. And maybe that's like my level of empathy where it's just casual. Like it's just so, so normal for me. Like where he like is this massive thing in his head, like to make 10 grand a month is like this huge astronomical, like wild beyond belief thing. But until you get there, then you realize, oh shit, like 10 grand a month isn't actually that much when you have a business and you have employees, you have staff, you have like VAT, you have overhead, like it's not that much. The related thing we see all the time is how like free and loose people are with spending. It's the classical thing, like, like they're happy, more than happy to spend a year trying something but they're really resistant to investing in something, especially people who are just beginning. You know, like say if we work with yeah. a, a PT who's like been 
And it, it's interesting. It's always the people who mention money on the calls, I find. So like if someone's like really upfront about like, this is how much money I make and be really successful and all sort of stuff, they're clearly very, they clearly hold on to this, these numbers and they clearly have like a number in their bank account that is very in line with their like self-worth. And as soon as you get to the end of the conversation, you say, well, look, the program's only this much. And assuming it works, it's like this much a year, this much over three years, five years, a decade. Like think of the return on investment. Like it's from a logical perspective, it makes total sense. But they're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to try it on my own. And it's like, really? Like that, you'd rather risk the like six months of time than the, like, the relatively speaking small investment. But that I think that's something that, it, that took us like, I don't know, several years to re to really come to terms with that how like you do just make the money back you never make the time yeah. back it's just gone i forever. think until you make those investments though you never really truly understand this is what i always mm. come back to like logical understanding and an actual embodiment like once you've like so like once you've i can I, I invest money too easily like i almost have to rein it back now like because i just do trust them <laughs> like yeah most shit works like let me just get some help from this mm. person get some help from that person like it's almost not even an a, 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 entering a conversation with me right now. It's like, what is it? And if I want it, I'll get it. Like, but that wasn't always the case. I remember my very first investment in Paul Mort, like 2009. I had like 500 quid in my bank account. I give him 500 quid. Like if it didn't work, I was like going back to Newcastle from Liverpool. Like I was like, that was it. It was done. Like that was the scariest shit in the world for me. So I've got to remember that like, because it's so free and able for us to do that, that mentality and mindset wasn't always there. It's something that you embody mm -hmm. over time when you understand that like an investment has an ROI in, in a multitude of ways. Like, yes, financial, I've invested in stuff that didn't really give me the financial return that I wanted to, but maybe give me an idea as a springboard for other things or another project. Like I think I paid $10,000 for something like everything's $10,000, like paid 10 grand for something like, maybe three years ago for something that I wanted to do that didn't actually work. But then I was like, Hmm, this could be an idea for another business thing. And that like scaled that new idea scaled to like 50 grand a month. So mm -hmm. there's like this indirect benefits from investments that we don't always see. Cause we're always like, get this money back. I had a sales call just this morning. And he was mm -hmm. like, Oh, like 25 sales. I need to get me money back. I'm like, yeah, of course do that every single month and then keep those clients that 90 day period we work together will actually bring in 50,000 pounds to your business over the next 10 months so yes whilst you yeah. just need that to get the return like actually you're not looking at the entire picture like 25 30 customers to your business is actually worth 30 40 50 grand over the, the scheme of a year that mindset of just basically taking multiple small bets because everything you invest in, every book that you get, every course that you buy, there might be one nugget in there that generates a ridiculous percentage return and then it makes it all worth it. And I think sometimes you buy a book and most of it's fluff, but there might be one idea in there that you think, oh, actually, if I implement that, that fixes that one particular bottleneck that I'm dealing with and makes the whole thing worth it. <clears throat> and especially books, but certainly coaching and courses and everything that accelerates that process. Like that's, as Johnny said, it's just compressed wisdom from someone else's mistakes that they've packaged into a thing and said, there you go. Cause I don't know about most people, but I've not, I've not got five years to waste on trying to figure it out on my own. <laughs> well, man, like things move so fast that if you wait, you will miss the opportunity. Like 
uh, like mm. people who have hung around and waited to invest in Facebook ads have like almost missed the boat. Like you've missed the golden era. I look back now and I think for fuck's sake, I wish I had this mentality back then because it was like piss easy. And and I didn't have the belief back then. Like, I didn't understand I could have scaled. I, like I almost want to like actually punch myself in the face to understand like where I could have been had I have had the mentality <laughs> and understanding now then. Yeah. But that's that. Yeah. then that's my thing now that's my foresight now so my my current regrets are my current foresights because i know that listen i've been following gary v since like 2008 and i've watched him say so many things over the years and i'm like ah oh, yeah whatever and then oh that happened <laughs> like oh yeah whatever and that it happened again like how many times do you have to hear that before you go actually that there is some sense in this to the point at which like i'm posting videos on tiktok that i never thought i would do because I'm just like, I know, like, this is going to go. I know I've seen it too many times. I've seen every platform mature and die. Like, it's ridiculous. Facebook pages used to get unbelievable organic reach. Like, now, I don't even post on there. It's like, it's almost, the only reason I post on there is because I run ads on there. Like, so if somebody sees the page and clicks to it, I want some content on there so that it actually has something mm -hmm. of worth. But I, I, I would throw away a page, like a fucking coffee cup now. I don't care. Like, it's, it's, not, it's useless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a wasteland. And you you're right. I mean, we when when we came down to see you, I think you just hit a million views on one of your one of your videos that was taken from a seminar two million on TikTok. So oh, nice. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah, like there's there's cheap organic reach for sure or, or free. <laughs> um I'd love to change gear a bit, Chris, and mm -hmm. highlight something that we've seen in you over the last would you say 3 years, you completely transformed your body. Yeah. And like you, you know, a lot of people make the claim that, oh, once you hit 30, like you're really just holding on to muscle and just kind of, um, slowing down the slow march towards death and you can't make big physique changes. Whereas you completely flip the script while also getting to a decent level in jujitsu and leveling up all these other aspects of your life. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah. So I like, I ballooned to like 118 kilos. Like I'm six foot two, so like it's not you know it's not like I'm you know five ten and 118 kilos. It's very different. But like that that was heavy for me, right? Like when I was playing semi pro football, I was like 13 stone two, like 14 stone maybe, like between that fluctuation. And I got up to like what's that like 19 stone? Anyone got a calculator? 90. Like what's yeah yeah what's I don't stone. like 14 stones like 90 kilos, right? Yeah. So it's about 30 kilo gain. Yeah. So I was probably like 85 kilo playing football and I got to like, yeah, like 118, like ridiculous. It's a heavy dumbbell and, um, difference. <laughs> uh, like when you actually pick up, like what's that? 40, <laughs> yeah. 40 kilo difference, 30 kilo yeah. difference. You're like, wow, this is, this is heavy. And, um, I just almost like my knowledge was like a, a hindrance rather than a help. You know, when you like got an understanding of how to get in shape and you're like, all I need to do is like train for 10 weeks and I'm, I'll, I'll be back. Like that was mm. almost an unhelpful thing. And what I'd always do was just like, the, the, so basically what happened, I was like 105, then I'll be like 106, 107. This happened maybe over like two years. And I think 
I was always like, right, I'm six week shred. Like I'm doing a six week shred. But like I'd get like Monday to Thursday, I'd get so stressed out with work. I'd get to the weekend and I'd just like overeat. And then I'd like start again on Monday. Like that overeating on the weekend actually gained, like I was just gaining weight as I was going. And um, it just got to a point and it must have been like the beginning of lockdown. And I was like, I am a fat fuck. Like I, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have told like if I had my clothes on. But I just felt uncomfortable. Like, I looked at myself in the mirror. Like, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't nowhere near where I used to be playing football. Like, shredded, ripped. Probably on the light, lighter side than I would have liked to be. But it was just uncomfortable. I was doing jujitsu, and I was just, like, I was unfit. I couldn't move very well. I wasn't very athletic. And I was like, fuck, this has to change, man. Like, something has to change. And I don't like actually know what flicked the switch completely. But over time, I was just like, okay, I'm like, this is it now. Like, I'm just on my journey on the way back. Like, I just, I'm coming back home, basically, is what, like, was the mentality. I think we can get so far away from, like, home that we, we just, drift into this place of like like non in my opinion what got me there was non-conscious living like it sounds very woo-woo let me just explain what that means it means like i'm living outside of my body like i was checked out a lot of the time like living in my head checked out like not really like not really present um i look back and i think i could have been a better dad a better husband at the time like obviously you know separated from my wife and things like that and it was that was a, that was a challenge in itself and um, I think it was like coming back to my body, like coming back into myself and be like, okay, like I got to look after this thing. Like I got to look after this vessel and just started, like I, I'd always do jujitsu even when I was overweight. So like that wasn't really, a, it wasn't really a thing that I was doing to get in shape, but I was just like much more consistent. I was like, okay, I'm like much more consistent there. Then training three, four times a week. And then, then the non-negotiable came with training. Like, okay, I train four times per week strength and then i do jujitsu like two three times a week like non-negotiable then i started meal prep because i was just like i can't like that i don't have the mental bandwidth to like sit and figure out and, and calculate and weigh and measure food it was like i just need somebody to do that for me so like let me get a meal prep like i just did that and it actually isn't that financially more expensive when you like break it down because I think it's the same thing with calories. Like people think about, oh, like it's calorie restriction. They think the same way. But what they're doing is on the weekends, they're just blasting through calories. Like it's going out of fashion in the week. They're restricting themselves. <laughs> so I was thinking with food was the same thing. Like, oh, it's more expensive to do meal prep. But let me just forget about the 150 quid I'm spending on just eat a week on top of the shop and that I throw away. Like... Oh yeah, and that's that's on so, the short term as well, and I, you know, especially um, in the states because we we don't really feel the cost of healthcare in the UK, but in the states you pay for your health either way. You either pay yeah. it later on in healthcare bills, or you you pay it now in slightly more expensive food and gym memberships and stuff. So exactly, it, it's unavoidable. And what's what's really interesting about that process that you've just said there is that there's so many psychological processes going on there 
that you clearly had to overcome and have been reflected in your business. There was the self-hate. There was the, oh, I'm a fat fuck at the moment. There's the binge yeah. cycles, having low calories during the week and then overdoing it on the weekend. There's that sense of depersonalization that you you mentioned where you feel like you're looking at yourself from above or there's the the, the sense of, well, I've got the knowledge. I know that. So I do, you know, you could distance yourself from the action because you had the knowledge and then there's the pride. So there's so many of these kind of things that feature into the way that your body looks. And that's, that's why I think like you, even though the mindset stuff seems quite abstract, like the, the proofs in the pudding. And once you nailed those things and put barriers in place, like, right, I'm just going to get meal prep because that handles that decision for me, frees up yep. the bandwidth, things completely changed. And I actually like, I had to like surrender. Like I just had to be like, listen, like <laughs> I give in, like I need to do this. And I let go of all timelines. I actually had, it was like, I call this like the goal, this goal. I had no goal. Like, I, like this was a big internal switch for me. I stopped focusing on getting in shape or being a certain size or being a certain weight or being a certain thing. And I started obsessing over like the micro, like the day to day, like, all right, I just need to eat this and train. And that was it. Like that was, that was my like thing. Surrendered to timelines, surrendered to like the fact that I needed to do it. Just let go of any expectation of result at all. It's like very stoic when you consider it. And um, I don't like it's going to take me a long time. Like it didn't take me six weeks to get here. It's going to take me a long time to reverse it. So I think it's like probably coming up maybe two and a bit years now that like journey of getting back in shape. And, and now like I'm in shape and... I have that thing now, which I didn't have before, where I'm like, okay, I think I'm probably sitting at like 98, 99 kilos right now, where I'm most comfortable at like 94, 95. So I have like that buffer of like turning up and turning down and like just working that little bit harder, having a little bit more flexibility. But I think you can afford to have flexibility when you're very close to like maintenance, like where you're happy. But what I had before was like, I had that flexibility when I was at a weight that I wasn't just not really happy at does that make sense like ultimately i think the goal is a plateau for everyone but just at a weight that you want to be at instead of a weight that you don't want to be at i had a very similar like weight gain and loss like my, my weight gain was like quite deliberate because i was doing powerlifting and I, like on purpose gained like 10 15 kilos got to like 106 kilos realized like this is shit um and decided to lose weight and tried like multiple attempts at like exactly as you described right right these are my macros starting on Monday. This is my training plan starting on Monday. Had exactly as you described. This was especially during lockdown where there's like nothing to do. So it's like Monday to Friday is really good. And Friday night's like, oh yeah, it'd be nice to get a takeaway. Saturday, Sunday's a mess. Back on, and that cycle just <laughs> continues. And I think the thing that, that changed, that helped for me was just like, and I think there's benefits to this outside of body weight change of just trying to be as active as possible. It sounds like so cliche, right? But like, yeah, going on like getting more steps in just training for because you enjoy it like getting outside moving around gives you more leeway on the calorie side and which because i think i remember you saying you were doing like you were doing bjj and training yeah. and just and i was generally more activity well. and not really tracking your yeah activity. yeah yeah i i like loosely set myself like two and a half thousand calories a day and what i do is like 1200 calories a meal prep and then i have 1200 calories in the evening like and, and I just knew yep. like, all right, if I eat the two meals that I meal prepped every day, then I've got twelve hundred calories. Like like 
that's a meal out. Like if you eat anywhere now and you look at the calorie intake, like a thousand calories, at least 1200 calories is a meal out. And I thought if I prepare something for myself at home, it's very rarely going to be over that amount. So that was like my strategy and still kind of is to a degree. Like I'll know that if I'm going out for dinner or I'm going somewhere, like I'll be very, very loose. But I like, I think when the, the benefit of tracking and understanding calories is that you eventually learn how to manage them almost intuitively. Hmm. Like if I've got a meal out, then I'll know like have a light breakfast or you know, have one meal instead of two in the day. And just little things like that, I think really support you. Just the sooner right. you surrender the fact that like, it's going to take you a long time to get in shape. Like that's the better things will be. Uh, Eric Helms has this idea called the default diet, which is very similar to what you just described. So like the, the problem with tracking is that you still like, it's a retrospective thing, right? It's like, I eat this and then I yeah. track it. And like, you can track yeah. and still be over or track and be under. Like you're still, you have to pair tracking with, I eat this way, right? Otherwise it's pointless. Yep. And so Eric, Eric talks yep. about, well, instead of tracking and eating a certain way, why not just have like a way that your days are? So like, I generally eat this for breakfast. I generally eat this for lunch. I generally eat this for dinner. Sometimes I'll go out for dinner, in which case that'll get subbed out, mm -hmm. but it'll probably average out across the week. And if I'm a little bit more hungry, I'll eat a little bit more. If I'm not that hungry, I'll eat a little bit less. And you end up, if you, as you exactly as you described, Chris, like my, my day probably looks like this, like two meal preps and, a, and an evening meal that lands me roughly where I need to be with a bit of flex. Like that's something you can maintain for years, right? Versus like yeah, everything I, going into an app that is, you're not really building a habit there other than I track what I just ate, but that might still yeah. might take you in the wrong direction. And, and equally, like I, I actually have some strategies around that. Like, so for example, like I made a lasagna I know that that entire lasagna is like 1600 calories, half a portion is 800 calories, right? It's like, I do that once, then I've got the cognitive awareness that that's what that is. Um, I have like, honestly, most nights I have like a packet of rice and I have a packet of chicken and I just eat the same thing, but like different flavors of the same thing. <laughs> and calorie, calorie wise, it's like, it's always the same, like eight, 900, a thousand calories. It's funny, like some of the women in this group that I was part of with uh, my meditation coach, they're like, all I see you post on social media is burgers, yet how have you got abs? Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, if you're only seeing like 20% of the picture. Like, I only, I only post the, the delicious food, you know? Like, that's 20% of my time. It's not all of the time. Although I could actually get away with eating burgers every single day because of the way that I've constructed my, my food, my eating. Well, it's like, why, I wouldn't be posting my, my chicken and rice, my boring meals every day, because they're not going to get any engagement. So Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've covered some bits about your, like the, the ways that you've created behavioral barriers and simple habits for improvement in that domain. Are there any other daily practices that you do nowadays? Yeah, actually, like the training side of things, I think is important too. Like I'll touch on what I've done there, because it's not, I actually hired a, a good friend, like you'll know him as well, Luca, like Luca Josefar. I hired him for the initial period of time to do my programming. But like he's a, he's like one of the smartest coaches that I've ever come across. And I was spending like 90 minutes in the gym every time, doing mobility, doing this, doing that. Like, And I did it for a few months and it, it, beca it started to become a bit of a chore. Like I started to, to struggle to fit that around family life and business and everything else that was going on. 
and it was a, it was becoming a grind and I'd have to split that session up into two because it was just too much to do in one goal and then I'd have jujitsu on top of it and um what I resided to was like okay like for me to stick to something I'm gonna have to enjoy it so I'm just gonna set myself some rules I go to the gym I do one body part and I do you know 25 to 35 sets that given day like if I feel like doing 25 sets that day I'll just do 25 if I feel like doing more I'll do 35 but I train four times a week I do at least every body part and I do at least 20 well, 24 sets 24 sets to you know 36 at least that's it and what I almost resided to was just like okay like today I'm going to do this <laughs> tomorrow I'm going to do this the next day I'm going to do this it was just very like loose it wasn't really any if I fancy doing like Four sets of five reps, I do four sets of five reps. If I felt like doing four sets of eight reps, I do four sets of eight reps. If I felt like doing four sets of 20 reps, I do four sets of 20 reps. And I just had that flexibility. Obviously, I have an understanding and training, so there's like a loose programming going on within that, but that really served me. Like, I was going and just doing stuff that I enjoyed instead of like following a meticulous program and going through it and be like, oh, this is a chore. And then I did jujitsu minimum two times a week and I was walking a lot. That, that was my training. And I think so many times we think, Training's got to be perfect. Program's got to be perfect. Like, I'm in the best physical shape I've ever been, and I also have the least structure around training than I've probably ever had. What about in terms of other um, practices as well? Like, do you... You mentioned breath work. Do you have any yeah. kind of meditation practice? Anything else that you, you do as a ritual? Definitely. So I'd love to say that I do this every day, and I'd love to say that it's very consistent, but there's very, like, distinct ebbs and flows doing this. In the past, I probably would have preached perfection with it, but there's periods of time when I just go through and I can't seem to find a rhythm and then stay like awake later than I should or get up later than I should and I can't seem, seem to find a rhythm with it. Then there's other times when I'm just complete flow. But my preferential way to start the day has changed multiple times. And I have this mentality of like, what's most important goes to the front of the day. And so I like to change my, I, I think rituals, should be celebrated, but they can also become routines and ruts very quickly. Like if it also almost becomes like autonomous, it can also be a negative. And so mm. I like to review that on a monthly and be like, what's most important to me right now? Like, what do I need to push? And sometimes that's like, I need to work first thing. I need to wake up and work. Other times that might be meditation. My preferred way of doing it and how I feel best is to wake, like I literally have a routine. Like I wake up, I leave my phone outside of my room. Um, my alarm goes off. I jump up out of bed straight away, get straight into the shower, quick wash, whack it on cold. Might be 20 seconds, might be 10, might be 15, might be 30, might be 45, might be 60. Don't get wrapped up in the semantics of time. And then I get out, I do like 10 sun salutations. I do a couple of rounds of like Wim Hof breathing or some other breathwork practice, like practices that I have. And then I drop into like a 20 minute meditation. And that's it. And like, I try and focus on like what I want to bring into my life, what I want to have, what I want to create. When I start my day that way, by far the most calm, relaxed, productive, focused, energetic. For some reason, I find that fucking really, really difficult 40% of the time. I don't know why. It's like anything. There's like many, many beneficial things that have made it very discomforting in our life. And for some reason, Sitting on your phone for 20 minutes and scrolling is fucking a breeze. Very easy. But sitting with your eyes closed, meditating for 20 minutes is the fucking hardest thing in the world until you're in a flow of doing it and then it's easy. 
that sounds like a lovely routine. And you, you're right. It's so weird, isn't it? Because the mechanics of doing 10 sun salutations, it's not exactly like a really grueling physical thing to do. And sitting down for 20 minutes, like, oh, great. I've just woken up. I get to, I get to sit and chill for a moment. But there's always so much resistance to doing that stuff. I find like when I'm most um, anxious or when I feel business pressure, this is the weird the, the weird paradox of meditation. It's like those times when I'm most anxious, I'm most afraid, I'm most scared, I'm like um, fearing like what's coming up or like I've got a lot on or I've got a lot of projects. Those are the times that I actually feel like the, the rush to get to work. <laughs> but equally, it's the time that I benefit most from the, the practice, right? And my meditation coach, Martin, he was like, keep up the practice, the practice will keep you up. So... Right, you'll be held by the practice. Like if you hold the practice, the practice will hold you, and you continue with that. And that's like I think that's so important. So like at very least, the reason I like to structure my routine that way is just jump out of bed, wake up my body with a shower, like cold shower, whatever benefit it has for your, your body. I know that cold water in the morning wakes you up. So that's why I'm not obsessed over time or anything like that. And then getting into the body was like sun salutations, very rhythmic, like rith- rhythmic. So like I think just getting it gets you into your body. Like you just wake in the body your blood's pumping and it's very, you just get into a breath flow with it. Like it's very, I feel like we need patterns like that to get into our body. And then I'll do like a, yeah, a few rounds of breathe. Like again, I'm not like, I'm not obsessing over like how many rounds do I do or this. And then I just 20 minutes of meditation. Like all of that leads up to the meditation. The meditation is the important bit. That's like the warm up for the meditation. That sounds great. I'm going to have to give that a try, the 10 sun salutations. Because yoga, it, I've, I've got so much resistance to doing yoga because it's an hour an hour's class and I have to go to a place and where I was actually like 10 salutations, a couple of minutes long, isn't it? So Even that's hard to do, yeah, you know. I'll like, start doing that in the morning. And... Wild. Like, honestly, like the resistance that you can experience from doing something simple like that is un- like, it's unbelievable to me. Like, this is why I'm seeking out more discomfort in my life because... It's unbelievable how simple that is to do. Yeah, it takes like four and a half minutes maybe, but it's still, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, like fucking suntight, like why? <laughs> and that's, I think, what I've learned is that that is your inner dialogue. And until you put yourself in situations to bring that up, you won't realize that it's actually there, but it's just unconscious. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Well, this has been a really, really valuable chat, Chris. Thank you for for coming on and uh, and closing the loop of uh, double podcast now. So, love it. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think um, there's like there's a few there's a few thoughts. I think um, you both two people, both two people, both people that I respect for sure. Um, <laughs> I think if you're watching this and you know considering working with Johnny Youssef, I think you would be in great hands. Like I really like the way that you guys do things in terms of very meticulous with details. Like I'm actually okay with the fact that I'm not a, I'm not as detail orientated as I used to think I was, but like my mind's very strategic. Like I, I think a very big picture, very strategic sometimes can be a little too abstract and I've got to like bring that with pragmatic. I can be very pragmatic too, but I think I, what I love about you guys is like, you like love the details of like, the microcosm 
and like you really struck to things and, and <laughs> like you almost experiment a lot and i think that's really really important i do the same thing with marketing it's weird like with marketing i'm very data oriented very driven by like numbers and data but then i can also be very big picture but yeah i think the way in which you structure things is i've had firsthand as a client working with you guys as you help me with training nutrition i think you'd be in great hands with those secondly i think like for a lot of people like watching this what i'd really love and what, what i'm doing on every podcast i'm on is like just have an inner exploration of like things that may be holding you back right now especially around the traumatic thing and i think trauma like the second that i say that word i almost turn myself off with it because i just feel like i haven't really had anything traumatic in my life go on i've had a few things obviously but there are always things in which we are limited by and i think it like i've never i've never known anyone get stupid or dumber from reading a book right you don't like you don't get less intelligent by reading a book the same way you're not going to be worse off by going to therapy the same way you're not going to be worse off by hiring a coach like it's impossible to get exposure to something and be worse off for it does that make sense so you have absolutely nothing to lose very much lowering something that has potential to help you and I think, especially as men, like we have this thing and obviously women have their own thing, but I've never been a woman, so I can't comment on that. Um, but 2022, who knows, who knows in this day and age, what the fuck happens? But like, basically, I, I know as a man, I know what it's like. And we're brought up in a world where we shouldn't cry. We shouldn't show our emotion. We shouldn't be vulnerable. We shouldn't be open. We shouldn't be this. We shouldn't be that. Like I am trying more and more to become a man of the heart and to be more vulnerable and more open and more responsible and more emotional. And I think that's a, it's a really important shift in humanity that I think really is required, like a tenderness, like it's a tenderness in men is required. And I think true masculinity, in my opinion, is like strong warrior, like boundaries, like get shit done, but equally like nurturing, caring, supportive, um, tender soft like very holding of weight in terms of emotional weight and also physical weight and and i think it really is important for us to collectively like look inward in that way and i think we can really change the world in that way um and then i'd say finally like if you're a trainer you you very much got to get out of the mentality of i'm a personal trainer in my opinion, and like really understand the the potential of impact that you have as a person of influence. I've witnessed firsthand over the last decade. I almost it almost shocks me sometimes to see, you know, I started mentoring people 2013, like I'm coming up a decade of mentoring fitness professionals. And I looked my Stripe account's got like eighteen hundred customers in. Not all of them have been private clients. Some of them have bought products and this, that, and the other. But like I've touched the lives of a lot of fitness professionals and coaches. And I think we underestimate the potential impact that we can have virtually, globally, but equally like like in our community. And I think back to when I was a, a local coach and it was very competitive with local competitors, but I almost feel like we need to move into a collaborative economy where you raise the standard of your local community and raise the like 
spiritual stuff, but like where is the vibration generally where like comp- competitions eradicated and you support a community. I think you can have a much bigger impact than you ever would imagine. Like that outlives you and far, far supersedes like supersedes anything you could ever imagine. I think now if I was to go back coaching in my local town, there'd be still people that I coached seven, eight years ago that would come back and train with me largely because of the work that I did for so long. And it's so important to think outside of the box of your current gym that you might be renting space in or your, your local community center that you're running classes from. Like you can really create a place of change. And I think honestly, we're in a, in a, a space and time where people are more susceptible maybe it was COVID, maybe it was lockdowns, but like people are far more susceptible to growth and self-development now. And fitness is a fucking great way to use as a platform for that. And Honestly, if I was to come back to the industry and like build a facility in a unit, like it would be very like integrative of all of those things. It always was like I had my own gym for many years, and it always was like a place for mental growth and development. But I think now, even more so, it would be like embodying that far deeper. And I think it's so important to like just understand the impact that you can have. You're not just a trainer who delivers personal training. You ha- you're somebody that can influence an entire family. Like you really are. And that comes with great responsibility, almost like it should be you know, handed with the same care and attention that like a gun license would come with. Like you have a, a serious ability to like change and transform people and you don't understand that power you have and you've got to step into that with belief. So I think I love this industry and I look at fitness professionals and I look at, I, a lot of successful people have been a trainer or they have a fitness background in some way, shape or form. You look at like mentors and coaches that are doing things in the world. Like a lot of successful people came from a background of fitness. And I think it's because fitness builds a resilience in you that like nothing else really can. Yeah, absolutely. Wise words, man. And I, I totally agree on the, it's a great responsibility and there's a lot of long tail effect that what you do has. And so, you know, as, as a trainer, you, you, there's a huge ripple effect. So it's definitely something to not to take lightly. How can we find out more about you? It's a great question. I really like (laughs) have a existential online crisis right now where like, I don't know what is my home, (laughs) but the place that I post the most stuff is Instagram. So, I like, I change my mind on so many different angles and things all of the time. Like I need a, like a, a website that's almost like a personal brand. I like speaking about a lot of things, man. Like I don't get, I don't like getting pigeonholed with one thing. So Instagram's probably the place where I do the most. So it's me, Chris underscore Brown is my Instagram handle. And if I can ever be of service, I'm, I'm happy to support and help in any way that I can. Absolutely. Amazing, man. It's been a pleasure. We will put all the links in the description as well. Thanks for coming on. Good to chat, man. Ah, It's been awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye-bye.